he's a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth, the world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. Tr- tr- <laughs> welcome, welcome. You now listen to the transparent truth. It's your boy, Cubs Keith. Intercom Studios. Miracle Mile. I'm with my man, Greg Biggins. Not in studio, but on the phone. GB, what up? Hey, what up? How's it going? It's going all right, man. A busy weekend for you. Busy weekend for the 247 crew. It was a busy weekend. It was a two-day some got, got some nice sun for the first time. I kept last night. I, was, I got sunburst, but uh, I'm feeling the effects. But yeah, it was a long week. Man, all that standing around doing nothing kind of takes a toll on your body. It's just, it's just rough walking oh. around and, and standing to watching football. Man, it's just uh, you feel old. Man, it takes you a day or so to recover. There's no question about it. You need you some Motrin, maybe an IV, <laughs> some Gatorade, get you some electrolytes back in your body. But nonetheless, GB, we're back, and it's the transparent truth, baby. And we only know why. We only know one way to do it, and that's rough. And if it ain't rough, it ain't right. So we're going to go into recruiting. We've got our sleepers. Uh, we're going to talk the poly combine recap. We got a really bruh segment. We're going to check in with the winner circle. We're going to have the Adidas recap with our guy, B. Huff. And we got a man listen segment, then we're going to bring this baby to a close. A little bit of an extended show today. But nonetheless, GB, let's get started with recruiting. The Transparent Truth Recruiting Report. Yeah, so because the show is long, let's not deal too much with recruiting. Just uh, you know, just talking to some kids. Obviously, not like it's a visit time right now. I mean, these guys are going all over the place. Spencer Lytle has probably been the most active guy out west in terms of taking unofficial visits. Uh, just this past week alone, he was at Wisconsin, Clemson, and Notre Dame. And this guy's already been to Texas. He's been to A and M. I-, I can't even remember all the other places he's been to. He's been several schools out west, and uh, you know, I-, I think right now Spence is. It's still pretty dang wide open, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how he, uh, what, what he does. Chris Steele will take his first official visit this weekend to Oklahoma. Everybody's going to Oklahoma this weekend. It's their spring game, but Chris will be there officially. That's my uh, my hockey accent, officially. Uh, also has LSU official visit set the following weekend. He's going to visit Florida, and uh, no date yet, but will officially visit USC. He's got one trip left. Ten of schools, Texas, Texas A&M. Miami, uh, South Carolina is really high in his list. So those are just a few schools kind of vying for that uh, final official. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is at FSU as we speak. We're talking on a Tuesday, but he was going up to FSU. He's already been to Florida. Speaking of Florida and Florida State, uh, Jeremiah Cradell, Jaden Daniels, and Sean Dollars all spent their spring break visiting Florida and Florida State. Uh, man, Jaden Daniels uh, loved both those two visits in the last couple days. Uh, both Florida and Florida State picked up quarterback commitments, so the, that might have uh, that might do it for Jaden in terms of those two schools. We'll see if they decide to take a second quarterback. But uh, Oregon is still involved. USC is heavily in the mix. Uh, Utah is vying for him. Cal is trying hard. Uh, UCLA is evaluating. Haven't haven't offered a quarterback yet. Talk to Jake Smith. He's a really good looking wide receiver out of Arizona. Uh, this kid is electric on his uh, on his tape. He's got a kind of a top four. He wouldn't say that he wouldn't call it a top four, but I'll kind of call it a top four. Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, and USC. He's already unofficially visited all those schools. He wants to take official visits to all four of those schools as well. Right now, I, I can't even tell you who might be the leader for him, but those are four pretty good schools when it comes to football. Uh, Jacob Conover, staying with Arizona players, 
Uh, I think he's kind of has a, a top two of Arizona State and BYU. He is an LDS kid, so BYU is, is heavily involved, and ASU is the local school there. You know what DB I liked a lot was Isaiah Rutherford uh, playing for our guy, Coach T. Um, he's going to Oklahoma this weekend for the spring game. Alabama, Notre Dame, and, and he said probably Cal, where his dad went and played, would be the other schools that are really high on his list. Uh, Max Williams took a visit to Stanford over the weekend. I tell you what, man, I love that visit. I love that fit uh, for Max at Stanford, and he loved it as well. Obviously, mom and dad, especially moms, always love Stanford, right? That seems to be the mom's favorite choice. The only negative with Stanford is they don't take early enrollees, and Max is on track to graduate a semester early. Stanford does not allow that. You need a whole senior year of AP classes, so we'll see if that's a deal-breaker for him. But Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and USC are all still involved with him. Darren Jones. Uh, recently transferred from Cajon to Diamond Ranch. Uh, he said Florida, Washington State, Utah, and Nevada are kind of the main schools that he's looking at. Again, with Jonesy, uh, he's a basketball player, too. So uh, he's kind of weighing, you know, does he want to do both or does he want to pick one sport and then kind of make sure that, uh, you know, he, he can actually uh, do both. So right now I, I asked him, he, he said he has no idea what he's, you know, which direction he's leaning both basketball or football. So you've got those three options. And Austin Jones, big-time running back, Bishop Waddell, uh, he also recently visited Stanford. I think that's, that's his third visit to Stanford in the last couple months. And my crystal ball right now, Keith, I got Austin Jones going to Stanford. I think it's a really good fit. And, and not just him, but some of the people around him really love Ron Gould as a running back coach and all that he's done, the success that, that he's had as a coach. And they kind of want to use him in a, in a Christian McCaffrey kind of style, kind of move him out wide, put him in the slot, obviously in the backfield. So Austin Jones looking at Stanford pretty heavily. He also visited UCLA and Utah over the last week. We had a we had a big commitment, uh, or excuse me, a big offer following a commitment. This one's kind of funny. We talked about uh, Keon Ware Hudson last week. He committed to Oregon. Well, the day after he got that, uh, he committed. He got an offer from Florida State, yeah. which is the reason why that's funny is because you know right now Oregon fans just have a a pretty strong strong dislike for Willie Taggart. You know they feel betrayed. This is a guy who came and just spent one year and then he left now he's at fsu and so what does he do he offers you know their commitment the day after he committed so i don't know if that was almost like just being petty? you know just kind of i don't know if it was petty or being salty or just maybe just having some fun just throwing you know just throwing some shades hey you know we're gonna offer a guy just because so a couple other a few other uh new offers out there johnny wilson the big 2020 receiver got notre dame daniel hamuli uh big time d lineman out of utah arkansas offered blake Enzalados. Uh, offered by Utah. I think that's his third Pac-12 offer. Uh, Henry Joto from Data South, uh, he was offered by USC, uh, so that was big for him. And um, getting, back to, uh, getting back to visits, uh, I, I think Bryce Young also is going to be visiting Oklahoma. I'm not sure if it's for the spring game. Uh, he's going to be visiting Washington pretty soon here, but he's another guy who has Oklahoma and Washington. That might be his top two, although USC is pushing hard for, for Bryce as well. And then uh, DJ, uh, Willie Analele, uh, he visited Arizona and Arizona State last week. He said he loved both of them. He liked ASU a lot. You know, obviously his uncle, uh, Iona, is the D-line coach at Arizona. So uh, I don't think his uncle is going to be too happy if he chooses ASU. But right now I still think USC might be the team to beat there. But he has baseball as a real option for him. So um, watch out for that one. Obviously he's only a sophomore. He's got two years to go. 
and then offers continue to roll in from Michael Johnson, uh, the son of Oregon wide receiver coach, also named Michael Johnson. So uh, Michael Johnson recently offered by NC State. Uh, I've lost count how many offers he has, but he's got a lot of them. So uh, congrats to Michael Johnson, really good kid. Kind of had known him, known him forever, yeah, um, just because of his pops. And that's going to about do it, I think, for recruiting. Like I said, kind of a not really long one because there's so much to talk about, but uh, always a lot going on this time of year. And obviously next week will probably be a lot more kids potentially committing and and taking visits and recapping officials and all that fun stuff. Yeah, 2019 quarterback domino starting to take effect. Guys are committing. Um, guys are losing interest in certain places. Second half of the semester of your senior year with Max Williams, is that going to play a role? That's going to be very interesting to watch kind of as this thing develops and shakes out. I think it's a great fit with uh, DB coach Dwayne Aquino, who's a big-time coach on a college level for many and many years, coaching University of Texas when they won the national title and has a plethora of defensive backs in the NFL. Like you said, GB, I think that's a great fit for Max Williams. Interesting to see DJ Uwe Analele visiting Arizona State. Loved it, but uncle coaches at University of Arizona. That's going to be a battle to the 12th hour. I guarantee you Antonio Pierce will not let up. He's going to be after DJ hard and heavy on a everyday basis. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this recruiting thing shakes out for 2019 and 2020. We know they got years to go, but it's always interesting. Up front, GB, thanks a lot. Hey, hey, Keith, did, 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 uh, last week, we mentioned quarterback dominoes kind of jolts with my brain. Did we mention uh, Ryan Halinski on last week's show? I know he committed to South Carolina, but I'm trying to remember when he did that. Was that before or after we recorded last it week? It was actually, <clears throat> I think he dropped that on Wednesday when the show dropped last week. So okay. let's go we ahead and show him that. some love. That's yeah, big, That's a big one. Yeah, so Ryan Halinski, obviously, uh, had told me on Sunday he actually came out with the top seven on Sunday. Right. And then uh, the plan was, you know, he's going to cut to three, take his official visits and commit. Well, he decided to commit three days later. And, you know, say he, he, it just felt good. It just felt right at South Carolina. He just, he loves the coaching staff. He loves Will Muschamp. Loves the personal attention they were giving him. Fits the offense. And he decided to go ahead and jump on that. So you mentioned the quarterback dominoes. And again, you know, the next guy's on the board. And obviously I don't think South Carolina... Um, you know, that's going to have a major effect on any of the West Coast guys, but you know, we'll we'll see. You know, Hank Bachmeyer still on the board. Cal Boise State, I think his top two. Already mentioned Jaden Daniels, uh, Paul Peferi, uh visited Washington State recently. They've offered him as has Oregon State, so that's another guy to kind of watch closely. So, uh, like you mentioned, the dominoes. And usually, when one quarterback commits, you just see like three or four yep. start to fall. So, right. uh, yeah, those are always quarterbacks are always kind of fun to track. Yeah, there's no question about it. GB always keeping us up to date on the latest and greatest in recruiting. It's going to be interesting, man, to see how this all shakes out. Can't wait to see it play out in front of our eyes and as signing day approaches for the 2019 class. So, with that being said, GB, it's time to get to our sleeper of the week. It's time for our sit and sleep sleeper of the week. Really want to thank our guy, Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. 
Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit and Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and Sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price, or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. All right, so we have two sleepers of the week. GB, I'm going to get us started, and you'll kind of finish this deal off at the Polynesian Combine. But before that, got a chance to go visit Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas. Time to sit down with head coach Kenny Sanchez, one of my favorite coaches in America. Uh, Had some great laughs, reminisced, had some fun. But, man, I got a chance to meet Cade Briggs, offensive lineman, Bishop Gorman, 6'3", 285-pound, tackle guard. Didn't got a chance to see him at the Polynesian Combine. Big-time player, quick feet, great flexibility, very physical punch, relentless with his effort. Sound technique and plays with an edge, a real edge, chip on his shoulder, and it plays through the whistle. I really like this kid, Kate Briggs, offensive lineman, 2019 out of Bishop Gorman High School. GB, who's your sleeper? So I got a guy who plays for premium, and uh, I've seen him a lot lately. Wait, wait, GB, what high, school do, what high school does he go to? He goes to Culver City. Okay. Um, this kid is a dog, and I mean that in a good way. I'm talking about KJ Crump. And what I was going to say was he's a premium guy, but he does not play for, I, I use, I'm using air quotes right now, their top team. Um, I should call it their older team. He plays for the younger team. He plays for their 2020 team, which is Team Dime, who actually outperformed the older boys this past weekend. And KJ can go. You know, he's a physical edge kid. Uh, when I say edge, I mean, this guy plays, this guy plays with some attitude. Um, not chippy. Uh, not dirty, but man, he'll lock you up and he'll press you, you know, five feet, five yards off the field if he feels like it. He's got ball skills. He's quick. Um, I, I know the kid works hard in the weight room. I want to see him get bigger, stronger. He's got two years to do so, but he's got a lot of natural ability, a lot of natural talent. Again, seen him a handful of times already, but watched him this past week on, on, on a big stage, the biggest stage you can be. If you're a seven-on-seven guy, and he performed at a high level, and again, Culver City High School, uh, they've been sneaky good the last year in terms of getting guys out and, and having quality skill players. You know, last year they had a couple receivers that went high D1. Uh, they had a DB that went to Wisconsin, and I think KJ is on that same route, that same path to go play at a high BCS level. He's got to get mentioned. It. He's just a 2020 kid, Culver City. KJ Crump, the kid can go. Had a great weekend of football. KJ Crump, Kerry Crump Jr. I remember him at the uh, opening SoCal uh, about a month ago or so. GB, he was big time, extreme quick, extreme quickness with his feet, terrific hips, very fluid, very active and aggressive. You're right, you're spot on with your analysis. Kid's a big time player. He's got good length too. I really like him. So, uh, Kerry Crump Jr., K Bricks, this week's sleeper of the week. Let's move along. We got the Polynesian Combine and Showcase Recap GB. Had a chance to spend some time with our guy B Huff and also Blair Angulo from 247 Sports, your guys over there. And uh, got a chance to get down to Vegas with some of my nice national preps guys, Trent Herzog, Randy Taylor, uh, Jordan Reyes. And you know what? We came away with a couple of different thoughts. You know, first thought was 
it was a it was a good showing of numbers for the Polynesian Combine and Showcase. Four hundred or so kids coming out there, um, and I'm not sure if they thought only Polynesian kids could come because most of them, or maybe even half of them, were Polynesian. But um, there were a variety of kids. 400 or so out there, a good number. Good numbers in each group uh, were well represented from the back end to the front end to up front. Uh, It was very competitive, very aggressive. I thought the coaches did a nice job uh, coaching and teaching on the fly. Uh, But one thing that really bothered me, GB, you know what, GB? I got a really bruh segment. Can I get to my really bruh segment? (laughs) You're going to go to really broad before you can give us the, the who, who the standouts were? You know, it's, it's bothering me. But I'm, I'm going to give you the standouts first, GB. But it, I, I need <laughs> to get to my really broad segment because it's bothering me. So anyway, my standouts, I loved Micah Gardner. He's kind of a receiver. He was at North Torrance. He's a 2020 kid. Uh, he's now at Carson High School. I thought he moved well. I thought he made plays, uh, created separation on regular. I thought Mitch Anderson out of La Habra High School looked good. He ran 4-5-4, four, four, uh, got in and out of his routes really well, caught the ball really well. He's smooth. He's explosive. On the O-line, loved Logan Logan Sagapolu, uh, the offensive guard center out of Utah. I mean, you talk about it. This guy's got the biggest back of an offensive lineman that I've seen in high school. The guy looks like a silverback, all right? His back is about 40 inches wide. And I'm, I think we talked about on previous shows, GB, the guy's benching like 450 pounds. He showed it. Once he got his hands on people, it was nighty-night Irene, okay? He was laying people down like The Undertaker. Really liked this kid. Very physical up front. Um, Romeo Galasso out of Bosco. Showed some good things on the edge as the edge pass rusher. A tight end as well. Caught the ball well. He worked on both sides. Uh, really liked what Chase Griffin out of Hutto, Texas, the quarterback, Really liked what he did uh, in drills. I thought he looked okay, but I thought once seven on seven started is really where he started to show his metal. Read the field well, dropped the ball off when he needed to, pushed it downfield when he needed to. Also found windows in the middle of the field and was on time and on target. Uh, a couple other guys, Miles Morale. I thought he was dominant. wasn't as great um, as he was at the opening SoCal when he totally dominated the field, but he was really really good. Uh, he didn't lose a rep from what I saw. Again, his athleticism, being an interior or an exterior guy up front, uh, he's got a great ability to move his feet, mirror guys, keep his hips down, re-ankle on the bull rush, excuse me, versus the bull rush, and then he's strong, man. That upper body, man, he really locks out, and he'll knock you back on a pass rush, uh, which is very, very rare, uh, to say the least. So those are kind of my sleepers, or not sleepers, but my standout guys from the Polynesian Combine, GB. How was uh, how was the Daniel Kalepo? I know he was a guy who was out there, and uh, I, I know I saw Valera have had him as one of his top guys. Did you like him? How did he perform? I know you saw him at the Nike camp as well, the, the SoCal one. I believe yeah. he went to the SoCal Nike, Nike event. Yeah. Yeah, Nathan Kalepo, he played really well, GB. Actually, he played better than he looked um, at the Nike camp. The edge rushers weren't as good, though. That needs to be uh, stated. They weren't as good as they were at the Nike camp, but he played well. Uh, I think he's still a guy that needs to continue to develop. His feet aren't as quick as I'd like them to be. He's not as athletic as I'd like him to be. But he's a big kid. He's young. He's going to grow into that body and that coordination and athleticism. Hopefully, continue to improve as he matures. Sounds good. Sound good. So let me get Sounds to my good. let me get to my really bro, GB. Oh, come on, man, for real, really, bro. Oh. I'll answer that. 
You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Now look at those that didn't quite live up to the hype. Because I'm a little perturbed. So the Polynesian Combine, listen, first Polynesian Combine, and I get it. These guys have their all-star game. They got the Combine. I respect it. I get it. But on on the list of players, GB, on the list of players, they had a lot of big-time guys on there. And come to find out, probably 95% of those big-time guys didn't show up to the camp, GB. 95, stop that, Keith. Come on. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. Let's call it 75, okay? Three out of every four. Be nice to my guy, Jesse Cipolo. Be nice to my guy. Listen, it's not about being nice, GB. This is the transparent (laughs) truth. This is about being honest, okay? About 75% of the big-time highly-rated guys did not show up to the combine, were not in attendance, did not compete. That was a little disappointing for me. I wanted to see those guys. Uh, in action. I also wanted to see those guys versus the guys who aren't, aren't getting the exposure, right? Who don't have the stars. So they can realize why they don't have the stars and or go ahead and gain the exposure to gain the stars. So it was disappointing for me. Uh, I was really looking forward to seeing guys like DJ, uh, seeing guys like Luca DeMont, seeing guys like um, the quarterback out of Bakersfield. I'm forgetting his name right now, but the young kid, the 2020 kid. Uh, just wasn't there. It was a little disappointing. Really, bro? Can I can I get guys to show up? Can I if they're gonna be on the paper, I need them to be there, GB. That's all. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. You know what that, that happens at every event and it's always a bummer. It, it happened at the Adidas tournament. Look at the rosters, like, oh, he's gonna come? And like, no, he's not coming. Well, why's on the roster then? He's always we thought he might be thought he might be there. And there's a chance the guy might show up, they throw him on the roster, but shoot, Nike camps, seven ons, poly combines. You never bat a thousand. You, 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 obviously, you should, and it'd be fun to get ninety-five percent of guys that are supposed to be there. There, it makes it more fun to evaluate and watch them. But I hear what you're saying, Coach. I sense your frustration. You, I, you probably lost sleep over this, haven't you? Knowing you, it, it, it bothered me a little bit. GB, I like to see high-level comp- players competing at events. I mean, I mean, this is why I'm in the business. This is why the business even exists. So. Um, the fact that they weren't there was a little bothersome. Nonetheless, did get a chance to see some guys who haven't heard much about compete, get after it. Gabriel Hernandez from La Habra High School thought he did a nice job at safety. Um, some other guys. So, all in all, it was a good experience. It was a solid camp, combine, showcase, whatever you want to call it. Just wish those big-time guys would have been there. would have made it that much more fun yeah, for me you. and better camp as a whole. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. No question about it. I hear you. So, uh, GB, before we get to our Adidas recap, because I know you got a lot to say, and we also got our guy, the third leg of this show, B. Huff, coming on. Before we get to that, we have to make sure people know about the winner circle. All right, listen, everybody, and I'm talking to you parents and you student-athletes. It's the off-season. This is your time to get better and improve. Come the fall, that's your chance to showcase yourself in front of big-time scouts like me and recruiters across the nation. Now, there are a lot of guys out there that claim to be trainers. They grab a whistle, grab a couple cones, but it's just not that successful. What I'm talking about is going big-time. Invest yourself into something special. Call my guy, Jordan Campbell, at Winter Circle Athletics. It's a facility in Corona, California with world-class, state-of-the-art technology and 
and equipment that creates world-class athletes. They understand human performance, health and wellness, and they customize programs to meet your athletic goals. They train specific for your sport and position. The Winter Circle has 50-plus Division I athletes over the last three years. They've added to a 50,000-plus square foot facility, and they also have a prep academy for 8th graders to 6th graders that concentrates on athletic development, social development, and academic development in their newly renovated facility. The Winter Circle Athletics, you can contact them at wintercircleathletics.com. All right, and we're back. So we want to talk a little bit, not a little bit. We want to talk a lot, GB. I didn't get a chance to attend the Adidas recap. I'm really jealous. You were there. My man B. Huff, he was in Vegas one day at Adidas the next day. B. Huff must have a private jet. It must have been rolling with Floyd Mayweather or something, GB. But hey, Adidas National Championship at El Camino College. Get us started, GB. Do we even have B. Huff on with us? Is he ready to go? No, we're going to call B. Huff in a minute, but kind of get us started with, with you know, the Adidas. What was the setup like? What was the atmosphere uh, like? The setup was incredible. It, it was incredible. It was uh, it was as good an event as I've ever seen. And, and it was 32 teams. Obviously, this wasn't, you know, just your typical regional where you have some scrub teams. This was uh, an invite-only deal. You had to finish in the top four of a regional to qualify for the national championship. And there was... You know, four teams from Florida. There were several teams from Texas. We had New Jersey represented. We have multiple teams, obviously, from all over, up and down, Southern and Northern California. Uh, there was Nevada represented by a couple teams, Arizona. I mean, it was so strong, and it was so good that literally it was so balanced that Saturday pool play was done. You had your bracket set up. You had one versus 32, two versus 31, et cetera. And number 32, which was Team Lillard, actually knocked off the number one seed. It was one of the Florida teams. So, I mean, that kind of shows you just how balanced this event was. But, I mean, just from from the organization to the refs actually were throwing flags for, for holding and grabbing. So, there wasn't anywhere near uh, as much as, you know, that nonsense that we always see. Uh, there was no fights. Um, the trash talking was still going on, but not as bad as nobody was. Uh, everyone's off the field. Only one coach allowed the field at the time. It was fields were good. You had a turf field and a stadium field, so the quality was, was excellent. It was it was great. I was fed. Shoot, GB gets fed in and out burger, and then Jersey Mike's automatically that makes it an even better tournament. So I give it an A plus. Hey, I thought it was great. Man, that, great that sounds fantastic, man. Ah, I feel so jealous that I missed it. But speaking of our guy, B. Huff, I think he's joined us. Huff, you there? I'm here. How you guys doing? Yes. I get so excited when I hear Huff's voice. It's kind of weird. Like, my dog always, like, I, I scare her because I, I scream extra loud when I hear Huff's voice. I mean that in a uh, – Hopefully. I weird about it, but I just I have so much love for this guy. It's unbelievable. Huff, how are you? I'm good, B.B. How you doing? It was, I didn't uh, see both of you guys I'm this good. weekend. It was a win for me. Yeah. yeah, good times. You had a good time. Little Vegas, little, little, little Vegas, Vegas, little little Ditas. You saw it all. I, I saw it all, but most importantly, I saw Coach Keith. I saw GB. My weekend was complete. I also saw. <laughs> now we're just sounding kind of weird, but uh, <laughs> yeah, man. I, I guess we should, should we start off talking. I know this is kind of a more of a West Coast SoCal show. Yeah, but, but you know, let, but yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Let's talk about all of it. Yeah. I mean, Huff, how, how good were they? What did you think about them? And they didn't lose a game. I mean, they're the no. one team that ran the whole tournament, pole play and, and bracket play, 
And I'm not even sure they had a close game. I, I think they they rolled through everybody pretty well. And man, I was impressed. I, I've always kind of had a bias towards you know South Florida players, even though you know West Coast guy. But they were really good, weren't they? They were really good, and they were big. They were fast. They were athletic. They had just kind of everything you needed at every key position in seven on. They had that swagger too. I mean, it was not just the their ability, but it was just that confidence and that kind of that energy that they had. When they played, I believe it was the Dream Team Tennessee in the winners bracket champion or winners bracket finals. They blew them out then. So Dream Team had to go back and play FSP in the semifinals and when they get to the championship game, it was 16-0, I think, before anybody even blinked. That's how good and how quick South Florida Express got up on people. And, you know, they are one of the, I would say, one of the originals. Like, when you think AAU basketball, there's certain club AAU teams that you think of that you just have known about for years, like the Atlanta Celtics, uh, pump and run going way back, uh, back into the mid-2000s. And South Florida Express is one of those that you have, you know, when you guys talked to B2G a couple of weeks ago, they're one of the originals out west, but when I think, you know, when somebody says, hey, think national seven on seven, which not many people bring up to me, but on the occasion that it does, the first thing that you seem to come to mind is the South Florida Express. And they look every bit, the, the Adidas, the, the every bit that national seven on seven power, you would expect a team like the South Florida Express to look. And they just ran through everybody on Sunday. And like you said, GB, it wasn't even close. Hey, here's a question I've got. Let me let me just chime in really quickly. And this is to both of you. What made South Florida Express so good? Was it their their athlete? Was it the size of their athlete? Was it the precision of their 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 scheme? What what was it that separated them so much to where they just ran away from the pack and dominated the entire field? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in first and throw it to you, Huff. But I was just gonna, I was gonna say that, Keith. Here's what was so impressive to me about South Florida Express. <clears throat> you know, you, you watch, you know, just use the basketball analogy. You know, there's a term you have a really, you know, really good group of guys just roll the ball out for them, right? Kentucky basketball. I mean, how much coaches John Calipari ever ever really actually do, right? Rolls it out. So this team had the best athletes, but they also, so these guys played like they practiced. You can tell that yeah. they actually practiced because they. My, my, uh, I feel like Allen Iverson is going to pipe it any second here when I'm, when I'm saying that, but they didn't just out-athlete you. Like, they out-schemed you. They knew what they were doing. They were, like Huston, they were a machine offensively and defensively. They ran route combinations. They ran rub routes. Uh, they Defensively, man, they, they zoned, man. They mixed it up. Mixed, they just looked like not just a, a, a bunch of great athletes. They were a well-coached team and, and so you combine those two things, well-coached with phenomenal athletes, that's a, that's a tough combination to beat. Well, I think when you look at teams or at tournaments like this, you know, you have teams that are overwhelmingly talented, but there's not a lot of cohesion. They don't play a lot together. And for all the monopsis seven-on-seven gets, the reality is a lot of these guys aren't spending a lot of time working out together and practicing with each other and working on timing and, and doing all that. So you take a team, like you said, Greg, that has – talent, but then they are so well coached, they're so uh, you know well put together as a team schematically wise in the 7-on-7 seven seven setting, and you have what South Florida Express did this weekend where they just, you know, were really unparalleled in terms of what teams can do. There were teams that probably could match them talent for talent, but they looked a little bit scattered at times in the game. Premium is probably the, the most notable example about that. Um, you know, the premium top team, where there was talent at every position, but for whatever reason on Sunday, they just looked off. Um, and I think that you look at Software Express, 
Those guys don't just come out west to enjoy the, the scenery in Southern California. Those guys are in South Florida. They're, you know, L.A. is not going to be too big for them. They're used to used to the glitz and the glamour. So it was a business trip like that. But when you bring those guys out with all of that talent at key position and they're able to just play so well together, you have what they did on Sunday where they just blow everybody out in route to what was a relatively easy championship. You know, so they're, they're toughest game. Sorry, Keith, to cut okay. you off, but their toughest game was probably against ground zero. They were down, what, 18 to nothing in a pull play game on Saturday, and you, you had ground zero do a little, little too much wolfing, a little too early. Don't, you don't, you don't want to let a sleeping dog lie, right? That's, the, that's yeah. the term. Yeah. They started doing the whole get on the bus, get, get, go back to Florida. They were all doing it, right? Like coaches, everyone was just, just you don't want to ruffle those guys up, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm not saying that's why they lost that game, but they were woofing way too early, way too much. It was a stinking pull play game, and they got embarrassed. You give up 24 straight points and lose, man, just shut up and play. That, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. And that was, probably, that was probably their toughest game the whole day. And I, I saw an article that uh, one, of our, one of our guys, Steve Wilfong, did where he, he quoted Brett Getz, the, the, the founder of the team. He put this team up there with the Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Shazier teams and said that might be as good a team this year's team as good a team as he's ever had wow. going back to that Teddy Bridgewater team. So you know how good that were, this team was this past weekend. Yeah, just well, And I think that's what goes to the, what you said, or I said earlier about, you know, when you think national seven-on-seven teams and programs, Southwest Express, that Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Shazier team that beat the 1925 team with DeAnthony Thomas and Mike Thomas in Tuscaloosa in 2010. I mean, that was what I think really put, that was at the original when it was called Badger, the what we know as Pylon now, the original Badger National Championship, that was like the first big national event. So that shows you kind of the longevity of South Florida Express that eight years ago, they were kind of the first legit national champions in a setting like this. And here they are eight years later with just a plentiful and bountiful region to choose from. And when he's putting it with a guy like Ryan Shazier and with Teddy Bridgewater, I think Eli Rogers was on that team. I think Amari Cooper might have been on that team as well. That's some pretty high praise because there was some talent on that team back eight years ago. Well, you know, Huff, you mentioned they came out west. They weren't surprised with the glitz and the glamour. Adidas put on a phenomenal show based on what GB uh, explained earlier in, in all the pictures and videos that I've seen online through via social media. They weren't intimidated. They weren't surprised. But it seems like the SoCal teams kind of blinked a little bit. Um what what can you speak to in terms of the SoCal teams kind of not being ready to perform under the big-time spotlight? You know, I wonder if it was more they were more concerned about just finishing better among their regional peers than, you know, it was almost like so much energy was going into games against the California team against another California team rather than trying to win the whole tournament. There's a lot of pride. You know, Greg and I were on a text last night. Uh, we'll talk with one of our basketball guys, uh, Josh Gershon, who's been on the AAU, covering the AAU circuit forever. And, you know, I asked him, is there as much trash talking on Twitter between AAU teams and AAU coaches as there seems to be with seven-on-seven football? He said, no, absolutely not. They don't care. They don't do that on Twitter. And I think we've seen it a lot this spring. There's more just kind of, I want to be this team that half the guys on my high school team play for. And we're fine. We're content with that. So there was almost like this feeling like, hey, if we finish the best out of the California team, then we're fine. There didn't seem to be a focus on the big prize. It was, I just want to finish better than this team, or I want to finish better than that team. Meanwhile, 
a team from Washington just blows through everybody on day two, uh, except for, I think it was the dream team from Tennessee, who they lost to twice, and they finished third in the country. And they don't have the talent depth-wise that those California teams do, but there wasn't a, hey, we want to finish better than the California teams. Is It was, we want to turn around and win this entire thing. And I think that's what... In my opinion, I wasn't there Saturday, but just from what I watched on Sunday, I think there was more of an approach of, we just want to beat this team, and that's what matters more than it did about winning the whole thing. You know, GB, you you talked, and and Huff, you talked a little bit about some other teams, the Washington team, the Tennessee team. What are some of the better teams um, who finished well in the tournament? So if if South Florida Express was on a level of its own, kind of 1A, who were kind of the 1B, 1C teams? Uh, I want to make sure that we show them some love. Obviously, you know, FST made it third. They made it farther than any West Coast team, and they're pretty loaded with a lot of 2020 talent. G. Scott Jr., uh, Aiden Hector, both are top 247 guys in the 2020 class. They've got a lot of really good high school players that may not be getting recruited at a high level. Lincoln Victor, who is one of my favorite players to watch in the Northwest, he plays quarterback for his team down in Vancouver, but he's about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, he plays slot receiver, and he made a two-point conversion that won their quarterfinal game to put him in the semis. And, you know, FSP with Tracy Ford have just been a great program. They won IMG Best in the West two years ago, and they've done a great job. And I think that they really showed that they belonged on a national stage. Um, for me, watching the two Houston teams, KB3 uh, with Grant Ganella quarterback, and then Fast Houston with a couple of LA guys and Chris Steele and Clark Phillips on Sunday. Uh, both those two teams were pretty talented, too. I think they both finished in the top five or six as well. Um, and so you, you kind of expected the the Houston teams to you know fare pretty well because they have some speed, they have pretty well coached guys, and they have some good quarterbacks. But I would say those are the two teams from besides Software Express outside the West that really caught my eye. And obviously, Dream Team Tennessee making it to the finals as they did was also surprising. But from what it sounded like, they didn't have a lot of easy recruits on their team either. They were just another well coached team that kind of put it all together on Sunday. Yeah, no, that that was one of Steve. You know, Steve Clarkson had three teams there, and you know, including the the eight oh eight team. But the dream team Tennessee, I'm watching them, and I'm literally going, "Who are these guys?" Because talk about not passing the eyeball test. They didn't have one guy hmm. that probably would have started for Ground Zero or for Premium Gas or Dime. I'm going, Steve, who's who's the dudes here? And he goes, "They all just play. They just play hard." You know, they they, they had a quarterback. And I, I would kill him. I said, I don't know. I, I, I wish I could remember his name. He's only a freshman. But the guy was playing with half of his index finger cut off. Wow. He had a, an accident a year ago. So he's throwing. He's spinning the football with, with half of his index finger. You kind of need your index finger. But they just they just played hard. They didn't really have a guy that you'd say, oh, he was a dude. Uh, the KB3 team, for me, I thought that was the, the maybe the second most talented team behind South Florida. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Grant Gunnell, but Garrett Wilson was the best player for me all tournament long. I know he was our alpha dog in the article that, that Steve did. Talk about a freaky-looking receiver that can just jump over guys. Him and Elijah Higgins, was probably that was probably the best wide receiver combo that any team had. And he had, you know, you throw Grant Gunnell in there. And that, that, was, that was a really explosive offensive team. I really liked them a lot. Then, you know, Jaden, uh, Jadon Hazelwood was probably the biggest freak there. He got hurt and kind of tweaked it. I think it might have been kind of whiplashed his neck a little bit. But before he went down, he was the, the, the best player in the event. I mean, he's a 6'3", 190-pound Georgia commitment receiver. Uh, just, again, making some plays that you just don't really see a, a whole lot of guys making, jumping over guys and, and just being so athletic. They're so physically gifted. You know, we, we didn't really talk about the South Florida Express players. Talk more about their, their style of team, but they had a receiver, Frank Latson, that I loved. 
that uh, was probably their best guy. You know, they, they didn't have a, a high-level D1 quarterback, but he had, they had a perfect 7-on-7 seven seven quarterback. You know, he's a guy who just, you know, accurate, throws the ball on time, protects the football, doesn't make mistakes, um, very efficient in everything he does. And, uh, I mean, that, that's the key to 7-on-7. Seven seven. You don't need to have, you know, necessarily a Josh Allen as your quarterback to win 7-on-7. Seven seven. You, you need to have a guy who's just going to be efficient, don't turn the ball over, get the ball to the right place, the right time, and, and that's what South Florida had in their quarterback. But, uh, yeah, that, that KB3 team was, was fun to watch because some of those freaky athletes at, at, at receiver that they had. Hey, Greg, you talked about a kid throwing a football with half his finger cut off. You also shared a story with me off kind of off air about a Hawaii team. Can you let our, let our listeners know and, and kind of give them the backstory of what's going on with this Hawaii team? Yeah, so it, it kind of goes along the line of your question about what happened to you know, the, the Southern California teams and, you know, and why was premium, why they lose so early. I'm not going to say they, they weren't hungry. You know, sometimes, you know, in sports, I think we always want to make excuses. And instead of just saying, hey, you know what, they lost to a team that was better. Mm. That particular game, right, that happens. Those guys get paid to play, too. When I say paid to play, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Those guys are trying hard, too. But no one plays harder or with more, I don't even know what the words are, just passion than Team 808 from Hawaii. And I think one thing I'm noticing when it comes to 7-on-7, seven seven, maybe out in Southern California, you know, these kids, are they're given so much stuff, right? So it's kind of like, how do you stay hungry when you're, when you're given so much stuff? You know, you're, you're getting, you know, you're constantly being fed filet mignon every single night. Eventually, you, you kind of get probably bored with, with the finest foods. So talking to the coaches at Team 808, I got emotional when you guys tell me this, but there was a couple players um, whose families didn't pay their bills for this past month because they wanted to send our kids out for this tournament. And I'm just kind of thinking, God, well, that, that's, such a, that's such a concept that I can't even comprehend. You know, here we have some of these SoCal players that are just given so much, and yet they're still playing. They're good players, yet they want to win. But are they going to be as hungry as that kid whose mom said, you know what, son, we can't pay our water bill this month because I want you to go to California and play in this tournament. And, and help your team win and represent your represent your island. You you match those two guys together head to head. Who's going to want to win more? You know what I'm saying? And, and and so for me, it's just I was I'm always blown away by just the passionate um, and the level of just toughness and competitive level of the of the 808 the Hawaii boys. But just when I heard that story, and if you watch them play, but they play with so much almost like a maniacal effort. And and they played great. They were you know three zero the first day, and they were rolling. Lost a lots of couple, lost a couple of tough, tough games on Sunday. But I just think, man, when these tournaments become about you know kind of a war of attrition, you're tired. You're, you know, where's your motivation at? You know, is your motivation going to be as, as you know is your motivation going to be as high as is you know the Florida team who you know with them they practice. You know, for them it's, they want to represent their state. This is a big deal for them. Yeah, the Hawaii guys, man, they're playing for not just pride, but they're playing because they're representing Hawaii. They're used to not getting any love or any look. So they're playing for like for like crazy. They have some other teams that they have their offers. They want some tournaments. Will they, will they be as hungry? Did that factor into why they, you know, why the premium team lost earlier? I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, they didn't play horrible. They lost on a buzzer beater two point conversion to, to State 48, and they lost a, an absolute war to ground zero in a, in a grudge match with those two teams. You know, flat out hate each other, but uh, I just I just thought that was a cool story that the 808 coach shared with me, and it just kind of shows just uh, you know it just kind of shows man just some kids just don't have it as easy 
as others do. And if you do have it easy, man, you should appreciate that and be thankful for that and, and, be, and, and try to develop that same hunger because, man, not everybody has what you have. I think the other thing to that point, too, is, like, with the team name, I mean, Team 808, that's the area code for the island of Hawaii. To them, like, like Greg said, it's a culture thing. It's not just about going and winning and having some cool pictures on Instagram or on Twitter. To them, it's going back to their island and representing the pride it takes in that country, in that state, and, and on, those, on the island, and what they have for their culture and who they're playing for. And I think that's why there's that hunger. That's why there's that drive. That's why there's that, you know, just that motivation for those guys to you know go out and play every game like it's their last and I think that that's what you saw over the weekend is what those at least on Sunday is those guys were playing like that was the last football game they were going to play and we've seen from a lot of those guys over the course of the spring at different events and you know the Mickey Mickey Ayu, one of my favorite players in this class and I mentioned Lincoln Victor earlier uh, in the Northwest Mickey Ayu is one of my favorite players out west not the biggest guy in the world but he is always making plays and that's in games for Kahuku that's on the seven on seven circuit and just you, when you look at his face you kind of just see uh, the focus there you know that's kind of how that whole team plays and they play with a chip on their shoulder that everything isn't being given to them and you see them and just the way that they interact with each other uh, that it truly is a family aspect it truly is and you know in, in Hawaii you have guys that play at Punahou you have guys that play at St. Louis you have guys that play at Kahuku all over the island and there's that strong pride for whatever school they're at but then they can all play together you won't see them trash talk each other on Twitter even if they're high school teammates and you see that in Southern California where one guy plays for one 7-on-7 seven seven team another guy plays for another 7-on-7 seven seven team yet they play for the same high school and they're still talking trash back and forth you don't see that with the 808 guys and I think it's just really evident that you know family is such a huge part of their culture and such a huge part of who they are and they play like that and they're playing for each other just as much as they're playing to win a tournament and, and like Rick said I mean, it, it's, it's fun to watch when you see guys like that that just they love football that much and that is what they really are motivated by. Yeah, you know, I'm going to tell a, a quick Mickey Ayu story, and hopefully I can tell this wasn't not, not a record thing. But, you know, I definitely want to get you know start talking about what, what players we did like and who did perform well. There was a lot of guys that did perform well from, from all the, the Southern California, Northern California, West Coast teams. But 808 was getting ready to play one of the Florida teams. I don't remember which Florida team it was. It was during full play. And uh, they're trying to take over the field. Uh, the coach said, hey, can you know, politely ask one of the guys, hey, can you, can you give us half the field? And then basically said the, the Florida player kind of just kind of just cussed at him and said, you know, basically just scoffed and said, no, get out of here. We're good. Right? So coin toss comes around, and Mickey Ayu's the captain, and this guy who was bounced off the coach, disrespectively, he happens to be one of the captains. So Mickey Ayu, here's what happens. Coin toss is coming, and he gets... We're talking inches from the guy and just staring at him. Just look at the guy. And you can immediately guess where this guy's eyes went. Straight down to the ground, right? He wanted no part of any of the guys. They went out there and Hawaii just destroyed this team. It was like 24 to nothing within five minutes. They were so in their head. And they were just doing their che and playing so hard. And they whooped them. And it, it just, again, that was just kind of the mentality. And, you know, again, I, you know, I'm biased. I admit it. You know, my whole family's from Hawaii. But there's just, it's, it's, it's just, the culture is just different. And uh, it's, it's such a respectful uh, group of people that you do not disrespect them at all, especially a coach, especially an, a, an adult, right? Um, so, Mickey IU, I, and I wish I was there to see it, just getting in this guy's face, 
just smiling at him for the whole entire contest with the refs giving this instruction and seeing this guy from Florida just put his head, eyes down and just melt and then just get whooped on. Uh, that was a, I mean, that was a beautiful, a beautiful moment. But um, top player personnel, huh? Who, who were some of the guys um, that you did like? You know, Coach T, TMP. We had Nate Kenyon. We had both premiums. We had GZ. Uh, phase one. There's a lot, a lot of good players. Who were some of the guys that stood out for you? Yeah, you know, I'll kind of take the the NorCal and Northwest guys that I that I liked. Obviously, you know, G Scott and Aiden Hector, the two twenty twenty guys that I really liked. JT Tumalau, I think he is the top player out west in the 2021 class. I might make a case right now that he's a top player in the Northwest, regardless of any class. I mean, he's in that Savelle Smalls category. Here's a six foot five, 245-pound defensive end, and he's out playing tight end, which he doesn't even play for his high school team because they've got a four-star guy in front of him. And in one game, he had two touchdowns, a two-point conversion, made a one-handed catch in traffic, and that was all coming from another freshman, Sam Heward, who will be uh, in the conversation the next few years as the top quarterback out west if not nationally in the 2021 class and both those guys are a part of the the, the b team for fsp uh, that i really like um you know tnp uh, isaiah rutherford is, is just looked probably the best that i've seen this is the fourth event i've seen him at this spring and this is the best that i've seen him uh, play i really like what i've seen from him just his growth as a pure corner he's already a physical guy but now he's looking uh, a lot more fundamentally sound at that position uh, you know, Giles Jackson, again, this guy has been everywhere. I think if there's a camp one weekend, he will be at it no matter what. And every camp he's been to, he was at the Army Combine and was probably the runner-up for the overall MVP. He was the running back MVP at the Nike camp in San Francisco. And on, on Sunday, he was just electric. One game, he had five touchdowns, an interception, and a two-point conversion. It was like every time you turn around, you hear, oh, number five for TNP score. There's Giles celebrating. Electric. I don't know why schools aren't recruiting him. I know he's been more of a running back in high school. He's going to be a slot in college, and he can be one of those dynamic slots you use in a number of ways, like Washington's used Chico McClatchy the last couple of years. Uh, just electric. And then KT Prep, love Tristan Sinclair, another guy that every time we see him, he performs. Austin Jones also had a day. Both those guys, uh, I really like. Tristan Sinclair reminds me uh, a lot of Taylor Rapp, another guy who was more of a linebacker slash safety and ended up being the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year in 2016. Um, you know, go down into Oregon. Uh, you know, Team Lillard had a couple guys that were from uh, outside of the Portland area. One of those is Trey Pastor, who's a 2020 defensive back out of Atwater. You have Colony playing corner long. Uh, really liked him when I saw him on an earlier 7-on-7 seven seven, uh, playing for another team from the Valley, uh, as well as Anthony Gould, who's committed to Oregon State. Another guy like Josh Jackson, kind of that, you know, undersized running back that teams are going to use, that Oregon State's going to use as a receiver. Jonathan Smith was the OC at Washington, so he had Chico McClatcher, and I expect him to use Anthony Gould that same way. Uh, both those guys, uh, Gold and uh, Trey Pastor, are players that I really liked uh, on Sunday. Um, I think if you, you know, go down to the Southern California aspect, obviously there are there a lot of guys on ground zero. Elias Rick, you know, he is very good. Very good at corner. I think he was matched up against Kyle Ford for much of the day. And then Darren Green Warren, who, you know, his top two four seven guy is a four-star. But I think at times he gets overshadowed in his own secondary at modern day. He made probably the play of the game uh, for ground zero, breaking up a pass that clinched their win over premium. Um, LB Bunkley Shelton, you know, another guy, another 2020 kid on that team that I like. It's fun watching Jaden Daniels, too, because he's just pretty unflappable. You see some quarterbacks who get rattled in seven on seven. There's no pass 
rush. And that always is a concern when you see quarterbacks get rattled without a pass rush, that they're anticipating the ref blowing the whistle, that they take too much time. Jaden's pretty unflappable, pretty even-killed guy. We've been watching him for three years now in the 7-on-7 circuit, and he's just kind of that same temperament at all times. And I thought he had a pretty good day on Sunday. Um, you know, it's a lot of the usual suspects, a lot of the guys that you just kind of expect uh, to perform well because they are those kind of performers that when there's a competition, they've got that competitive nature to them that raised it up. So a lot of the kind of the same guys for me um, were really who stood out. You know, Huff, the one thing you said at the very top of that hour was, did you actually say another Northwest player might be better than Savelle Smalls? But disrespect, Huff, you're going to get a, a vicious tweet and an email. From Trent Herzog. I did not <laughs> want to no, I was referring to Trent. I was referring to someone else. Yeah. Huff, I, if you say it, I back you up. I'm just, I'm just waiting. I just, I can't believe the disrespect you show by saying someone else is better than this guy. It's just, just, just wrong. It's just shady. What's wrong with you, Huff? Let's just say it's pretty close. Right now, I'd go Savelle because I think, you know, Savelle obviously is probably at this stage a little bit more uh, athletic and probably still has a little bit more room to grow. But that athleticism is just the slightest over JT, who I think those two guys in back-to-back years will be in, you know, it was the same time the last couple of years when Washington's had Jacob Eason and Tad Foster uh, Sorrell. I think Savelle Smalls and J.T. Tumalo will be probably the two most heavy, heavily recruited players the Pacific Northwest has seen, maybe ever. And, you know, it's fun when you finally get to see a couple of big guys uh, a couple on the defensive side of the ball uh, up in this part of the country. You know, there's been some quarterbacks here. There's been some receivers. But in consecutive years, you have kind of elite defensive and outside linebacker types in those two. And it's going to be fun to watch those two guys because they still got two and three years of high school football ahead of them, respectively. But no disrespect intended. I just think that both those players are very, very good elite-level prospects. No, you're still being disrespectful. You, you, did, you didn't hype up the bell. <laughs> hey, I'm only Keith, playing you, around. You ain't because I know you like JT. No, I do. I do. I saw him, you know, early in his freshman year. I said, who and what is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, the kid looks like a mammal. Um, out there playing football, I just I, I love his upside. Like you said, he's a tremendous athlete, a jumbo athlete. I'd like to call guys that look like that. Savelle Small, same way. Um, like you said, Pacific Northwest coming in strong 2020-2021. Ain't no question. You know, I co-sign on Elias Ricks. For me, he's special. He was as good as any corner. And, and not just performance-wise, I'm talking upside-wise. You look at a kid who's 6'2 and long arms. And he's fluid in his movement. He's got ball awareness and ball skills. And he plays hungry. He plays like an 808 dude. When they played ground zero, man, I've never seen a guy play harder than Elias Ricks. I mean, they, ground zero, I don't want to, I hate that it's such a cliche. Oh, they wanted it more. I think it's dumb. But it, honestly, it looked like ground zero. They, they had been getting their butts kicked by, by premium all offseason by their younger team, by the 2020 team. Right. So they're playing They're playing the older team. I'm not going to say they're the, – I'm going to call it an A and a B team because yeah. it's a younger and an older team. They're both good. But Ground Zero was so hungry that game. They, they just really wanted it. They made plays, and Elias Ricks made three or four pass defense that were just out of this world. And They, I, they, had, uh, they had Isaiah Young from, uh, from Centennial playing. Yeah. He was really good. A little slot car. I, I didn't even notice him. Got to talk about Darren Jones, right? Jones, he's 6'8". Uh, made some huge plays all weekend long, catching not just fade passes, but he's getting down the field and making plays. He's so thin. He got banged up. Uh, I think when they played against the, the Georgia team, they had some DBs that were looking mean and hungry, and he got batted around a little bit. But 
Darren Jones at 6'8 was a, had a really good event, and I like Jaden a lot as well. Like you said, man, never looks nervous. Uh, even though there's no pass rush, I mean, it's still tense, right? It's still, you know, third and you know, third and one, last play of the game. Jaden always looks like he's just cool and calm and collected. But I tell you what, man, I, I like that team dime team, the younger 2020 team that that premium had. They went farther than any other West Coast team outside of FSC, and. and but hats off to Tracy Ford, Hop. I know that's your, a good friend of yours, and I was talking to Tracy, too, and I go, you know, other than along with the Hawaii team, I thought Tracy's teams play harder than anyone else, too. They play with so much passion and energy. It's awesome. I, I really like their style, and I like how Tracy coaches them. And other teams are noticing, going, dude, these guys are going no huddle at, at the offense, just barking out plays, and they're going, these guys must practice a ton. It goes back to that, that, that word, right, practice. But team die, man. They had some dudes. Secondary uh, was really strong. I, I liked a lot of their guys. They had a kid uh, who played at Crenshaw last year, J.J. Greenfield. He's at Bingham, yeah. Utah now. Yeah, Jared Dude. Greenfield. J.J. I'm calling him J.J. just because yeah. it's easier for me to say that. <laughs> he can go. He's yep. really good. You know, we already mentioned K.J. Crump was very good. At receiver, Josh Jackson, Chris Hudson. But guess what they had playing for them? This past weekend, Keith. Who who they have, GB? Everybody loves this guy. Everybody loves him. My guy, Raymond? They had Raymond. They had Logan Loya as their go-to guy. And one of the highlights, again, it, it just it was such a bummer for me. It just happened right out. I was walking out. This was the game they lost. I don't remember. Did you did you see who they lost to, uh, Huff? Team Dime? Was it one of the Florida teams that eliminated them on the final I, day? I think it was Miami Elite, who was the number one seed, and then lost their first playoff game. I think that's who it was that knocked them out, ultimately. They were going back and forth, Logan and this DB, and Logan was just torching them. And these guys were just jaw-jacking. Logan doesn't usually really, talk too much, but last play of the game, Logan points at the guy and says, I'm going to catch the gaming touchdown on you right now. Babe Ruth? They throw, they throw a fade to Logan. Dude, he out-jumps the guy and drops the ball. Oh, he no. He was can call his shot, and it would have been a tough catch. Yeah. But it's a catch that Logan will, will make. Nine out of ten times, the ball kind of got into his body, into his chest, and the guy kind of batted it down, and then it just happened to be on the sideline of where the the rest of the Florida team were. So oh, they, they, they let wild. Logan have it. Yeah, they let Logan have it pretty good. But Logan was uh, was really good. You know, I thought both both quarterbacks were good for for Team Dime as well. Doug Brumfield, you know, lefty. Um, he, he's he's making some strides. He's yeah. looking like uh, like he knows what he's doing. You know, he always had the arm, but I think he's in, he's poised for a, a pretty big year. And then DJ Ralph, I've known his dad forever, longtime coach in San Diego. Uh, DJ also left. He recently transferred to Cathedral Catholic, but he was really good too. Um, Tony Beeves was good. Um, God, they had they had a, a handful of guys. Um, Justin Lemmingston was really good. Brandon Jones was exceptional. He might have been their best cover corner all all weekend. So uh, I, I like Team Dime a lot. I you know for the, for the premium premium side, uh, the the older team. Uh, you know Max Williams is good. Uh, he came late on Saturday, did the arcade attractive, but he still he was making plays. Um, you know quarter, quarterback wise, you know Bryce made some throws. Cal Ford was dominant that first day. Um, you know they had a. Uh, they had Stan Livingston, uh, just no relation to Justin Livingston, but Stan. Uh, both those Livingstons are, are both really good. But you know, they they went out, they went out so quickly on Sunday that there wasn't even a lot to, to really talk about or, 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 or see what was going on with those guys. But uh, gosh, it was it was eventful. It was eventful. Uh, what, what about did you watch any of the, any of the uh, either the Nevada teams? How did you see? Uh, I thought Michael Bowen threw the ball really well. They, they've been a yeah. nice run. 
I did. I watched a couple of phase one games um, on Sunday, and yeah, I thought he threw uh, a really nice ball, and they were pretty shorthanded. I mean, when, when phase uh, one has played other events this year, they've had most of the Desert Pine kids, Cameron Wiley, uh, Jaden King, Darnell Washington, and, and they were short. Those guys, I think there was a couple other guys that they were not have, that he didn't have for the weekend tournament, but I thought he did throw the ball well, and I think he's ready to be that starter for Bishop Gorman. You know, like Dorian Thompson-Robinson before him, he's paid his dues, he's waited his turn, and he's looked good in that spring leading up until his chance to be the starter, and I think he's ready for it, and I thought he threw it with a lot of confidence on, on Sunday, and yeah, I thought that phase 40, or phase one, uh, especially considering they were down, Arizona team as well, Jacob Conover didn't have a lot of the weapons that he's had for previous tournaments either, or Braden Leroy, um, and I thought the State 48 played pretty well uh, on Sunday, and so it's, it's really fun. One of the, the best aspects of seeing tournaments like that is you, you get to see matchups that you wouldn't normally see. Obviously, you're seeing you know the West Coast kids go up against the national programs, but it's always fun to see like an Arizona team play a California team, a Nevada team play an Oregon team, and it's fun to just kind of to see that because there isn't a lot of uh, jaw jacking going on in terms of, you know, hey, we're the better program in this area. There's just kind of more, hey, this is our style of football in this state against this is our style of football in that state. And it's seven on seven setting. Yes. So for all you people that are purists and think seven on seven from the devil, save it. Don't tell that. I don't care. I'm talking in the seven on seven context, but you just see a lot of uh, fun matches. You see top corners going against top receivers sure. in our region. And, you know, and that's one of the things that was entertaining is getting to see Jacob Conover go against some of the California secondaries, you know, seeing, uh, G. Scott uh, from Washington go up against uh, top corners from California and from around the country. And I think that's what made this event really entertaining to watch is these top teams usually are full of the top skilled recruits in the country. And so you're getting to see a lot of these matches that in the old days you had to wait until they were in college. Yeah, man, that, uh, you're right. That about you, does it. You're that, right, that, yeah. That, that, that about does it, man. That was, uh, yeah, I mean, we could probably go on and on and on, but shoot, man. Overall, I thought it was a really good event. Great teams, great competition, well run. Adidas did a phenomenal job. Like I said, I give it an A plus. It was really, really fun. Yeah, GB, you said the best event or the most loaded event you've ever been to in your twenty plus years in the business. So, I mean, I, we got we got number thirty two knocking off the number one. That kind of shows you the balance, right? I mean, that was incredible. Yeah, the yeah. Team literally do that on, on day two. So, there's no question about it. Hey, Huff, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate you as always, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Huff. All right. Hey, GB, good stuff by you and Huffman. The Adidas National Championship recap. That was uh, about as good as you can get, man. We appreciate that. But now, GB, it's time for my man listen segment. We want to, man, listen. I'm going to talk to every seven on seven team out there from the West Coast to the East Coast to players, coaches, parents, handlers, the whole nine. GB, I got a little bit of a problem here. Man, listen. How do you go into competitive environments? Highly competitive environments with elite players across the country competing on a national stage and you don't practice. Practice? To- <laughs> Coach, I'm totally oblivious to this. I did not know Many 7-on-7 teams didn't practice. They just show up and they play. Give routes here, run this route, quarterback, throw the ball. Listen, man, listen. 
doing that is a recipe for failure on a national stage. Of course you can do that, GB, when you're playing regionally versus kids and teams who aren't as talented as yours. Of course you can do that playing locally versus kids and teams that are not as dynamic and athletic as yours. But when you talk about playing on a national scale, in a nationally competitive environment, on maybe the biggest stage there is now in 7-on-7, the Adidas National Championship. And you mean to tell me that we have teams that don't practice? We're talking about practice? GB, are we talking about practice? You are talking about practice. We we don't practice? I mean, if you're a shooter in basketball, what do you got to do? You got to practice shooting. If you're a pitcher in baseball, what do you got to do? You got to practice pitching the baseball. (laughs) Winners practice for perfection. How do you expect to win, Greg Biggins, if you don't practice? How do you expect to win versus other elite players in competition and you don't practice? Uh, Coach, I am totally, totally confused. I don't understand the method. I don't understand anything that pertains to not practicing, but I'm going to go out there in a exposure environments. I don't even know if that's a word. An environment that creates exposure for my brand, meaning the the Keith Miller or the Kyle Ford or whoever's brand. Okay? And I haven't practiced. I haven't practiced with my quarterback. I haven't practiced with the receiver to my side, with the running back. We haven't practiced. We're going to go out there and compete on a national scale and put our name and brand on the line without practicing. That's absolutely absurd in my opinion. Man, listen. How do you not practice and go play in a national championship environment? I want to ask Nick Saban that question. Hey, Nick, do you guys practice going into the national championship game? It's ridiculous. Now you're just being silly. Now you're just being. Now you're just being manless, silly, Keith Miller. But I, I might be GB, but I'm just. I'm so disturbed by this. Man, it's hard. Listen, guys are playing baseball. Guys are running track. Guys have high school commitments. You can't get twenty guys who live miles away and say, hey, Wednesday, 3 o'clock, let's go to such and such place and practice for two hours. That's hard to do. When you have other Cal Fours playing baseball, you got half these guys are running track. At least I think they all should be running track, to be honest with you. That's another, that's another topic. But it's hard. to get. Bryce Young is your modern-day quarterback. Bryce has modern-day commitments like crazy as well as doing other schools. So, I mean, I think it's yeah, it's a great concept, and honestly, Keith, what you're saying, they, they all said it afterwards, talking to some of the parents, some of the, even the coaches. What, what, what did they say, GB? What it's, did they say? No, I was like, you can watch FSP, and you can tell those guys, and they're like, dude, we need to practice. They would love to practice, but it's kind of trying to find the, find the time and the place. And the schedule, GB, GB, that's, come that's on, come on, part, come man. on, GB. I, I think you're giving them a scapegoat. I think you're giving them a way out. I want you no, to imagine. I'm just saying, hey, you me, listen. Hey, you, end of the you, day, seven on seven is still what it is. We, we can't compare it to you know. I understand real football. It's not like Alabama. You know, we can't, this isn't their season. This is the off season for a lot of these guys. A lot of these guys have other commitments that are more important than seven on seven football. And I, I, I don't have a huge issue with that. No, I understand. But you make time for what's important. If winning. This is important. You make time for it. If competing in this is important, you you make time for it. 
I mean, that's just the cloth that I'm cut from. I mean, for, for me, for me, carrying a carrying a three five GPA or running track or playing baseball would be more important to me than winning the seven on seven tournament. Of course, well, I'm, I'm with so, you on that. I think, I think a lot of kids have have those commitments, and, and obviously, we're, we're both speaking in generalities. Not not everybody, you know, is playing track or or running track or playing baseball sure. or, or whatnot. There's definitely guys that can probably get together on their own and, and, and do some things, but I, I just say I think it's easier said than done. I think, uh, you know, with Tracy Ford, those groups, I mean, they train together, so it's probably easier to get together. And I think the South Florida Express team, I mean, shoot, all they do is football out there. So you just see a, a different level. I mean, I know talking to the Ground Zero guys, Anthony Brown, he's like, dude, we'd love to practice. He goes, we would love to be able to do that. We just, we just, it's too hard. You know, we are, this guy lives here, this guy lives there, and there's, you know, 50 miles apart where some of these kids live. So it's hard to get everyone together. Yeah, it's hard, GB. I get it. It's hard. But it ain't too hard for South Florida Express. It was not too hard for South Florida Express. And no. they came in Definitely and they showed not. everybody that, hey, we got great athletes, we practice, and we're going to smack you around. We're going to uh. dance in your hometown, on your home turf, and we're we going to get jiggy. We're going to do the Ray Lewis squirrel. We're going to do the bank head bounce. They did everything on our field, on our coast, that they shouldn't have been allowed to do because we should have came out of there with a West Coast winner. It was a little embarrassing. And speaking of that, GB, is a, speaking of that, are, are we hungry? Are we as hungry? Now, me and you, we've talked on camera, off camera about, hey, the best athletes in the world are in Florida, South Florida in particular. Are we as hungry as they are down there, GB? Do we want it as bad as they want it? You said they eat, they live and die football out there. Do we want it as bad as them? Are our kids as committed? Considering we don't practice, are we as committed as they are down there, GB? And why or why not? Um, I, I don't know. I, again, I think I don't want to speak in generalities because there are some kids out here that are extremely hungry. But as a whole, no. You know, again, my in my experience, I'm not just throwing this out against the wall and hoping it sticks. I have experience, uh, you know, of traveling quite a bit for 15 years seeing all the top athletes during the Nike football camps and seeing the athletes in Florida. And it's just, it's different there. It, it really is. It, it's different in terms of how they how they view football. A lot of them don't have the same kind of resources that our kids do out here. So football for them is a way out. And again, it's like, you know, a, a boxing analogy that we talked about. I think we might've been off air. We talked about it, but you know, it, if, if you don't come from much and that's your only way out, you're going to be a lot hungrier than the kid who's got everything already and doesn't have to work as hard. I mean, that's why people are kind of dogging Josh Rose and saying, oh, does he really love football? He's, you know, parents are millionaires and he's a 4.8 student and blah, blah, blah. Does he love football? I think those Florida kids, again, just seeing them at, at, at camps and how hard they compete and, and what they do. And again, I don't want people to go on any message board and say, oh, you know, Greg said SoCal kids are soft. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if you, if you, on the whole, we have hungry players out here, but in South Florida, it, it's just different. Unless you, you have to actually go and visit and watch them and see it firsthand to really understand it. Um, those guys are just more, a little more competitive. You know, we used to do an event when I was at student sports called Gridiron Kings. And it was a West Coast All-Star team versus a Southeast All-Star team versus a Midwest All-Star team versus a Southwest All-Star team. So it was four All-Star teams that we put together. So it's basically a, a California versus Florida versus Texas versus the Midwest, which is kind of like all over the Midwest. And, you know, it did it for five years. 
I took some pretty good teams out there. It's kind of cool. I saw I saw Jadon Mickens out there at the tournament. We talked for a while because Jadon Mickens at Dorsey was one of my guys. He was one of my, one of my receivers. And uh, we didn't win it. We didn't, we didn't beat them one time. And I, I had some really good guys. We had some dudes. Florida won the, team, the Deacon tournament every single year. And every year, man, I, I was so, I was more pissed off than some of the players were. So I was wanted. I was hungry. But it's just the Florida guys, when it came down to it, they, there was no way they weren't going to win. I mean, they, they were just, again, using the word maniacal about it. They just they are so competitive. There was, there was no way. That was in Florida. That, at the Disney Complex, there was no way they were going to lose to a team from California or a team from Texas or especially a team from the Midwest. And they never did. They went five and zero and won it every single year. And every year I go next year, next year I plot my team. I plot who I was going to bring out there and my receivers, and my quarterback, and who we're going to have coming back. And just every year, Florida won. It just it was again. Unless you go out there and see it firsthand, you can't really understand it. Yeah, no, I hear you, GB. Just hey, that 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 that's my man. Listen segment, and uh, you know it's not the end of the world, but you know I want us to defend our home turf. So. Uh, we got we we've got to do better as a whole. We got to do better as a whole. So that kind of does it for today's show, GB. Thanks for live for rocking with me, my guy. Uh, follow us on social media: the Transparent Truth, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know where we're at. You know what we do. This is how we get down the number one high school football podcast in America. For your boy Greg Biggins, it's your man Coach Keith. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name's Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool. <laughs>